Hello, it's Jack Tudor here of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is Banner Hafar, an electronic music composer based in Asheville, North Carolina. Banner's new album, Intima, is out now on Touch, an album composed using the tracker sequencer. And from what I've read and speaking to Banner, it seems that this sequencer, the way that it forces you to accommodate it, had a big influence on the movement and feel of Intima. It's an album as well that has a really interesting sequencing, as I talk about in our conversation. It starts with these details that feel very molecular, beats and pulses that are intricately placed, samples of, say, piano that are chopped up and sped up, glitching, you know. And then as the album progresses, those details start to smooth out. We move into longer tones, softer details, and almost feels like you're kind of zooming out and all these little molecules are starting to blur together into larger shapes which feels appropriate given that we talk about microsound in this conversation too. It's a great record. It's so satisfying to follow the progression of it from start to finish. Uh, A headphone listen for sure, it's beautiful. So I'll put links to that in the show notes. Uh, What a treat to speak to Banner as well. Uh, Picks three records that I instantly felt very connected with. Uh, One of them in, in particular. And lovely to talk to her about them. So please do enjoy this conversation and if you're enjoying this and other episodes of Crucial Listening perhaps you can support the show on Coffee ko-fi.com forward slash crucial listening where you can donate one off or monthly any amount that you please to help support the show. Uh, okay, thank you so much. Hope you enjoy this one. This is Banner Hafar on Crucial Listening. Welcome to Crucial Listening. Hi, thank you for having me on. Thank you for coming on. So you are here to talk about your three important albums. Before we talk about those specifically, I'd like to talk about your new album, Intima, on Touch. So let's start with the background of the pieces that comprise this record. So these were composed for Touch's 40th anniversary celebrations in LA and Santa Cruz back in spring. 2022 so to begin with could you tell me about don't know if this is anything specific but the first things that kind of came together to generate this record what were the first bits of Intima to fall into place for you um so Intima was very much kind of um 
uh, focused on the um, on the sequencer that I had just bought. It's uh, it's called a a tracker um, made by Polyand, um, and it's kind of a specific type of sequencing, where it's like a vertical sequencing uh, versus a horizontal sequencing. So I I had been kind of playing with this new instrument, um, and at, uh, around that same time, I was asked to um, uh, if I wanted to perform it the, at Touch's fortieth anniversary celebration. So I uh, happened to be using the tracker and I just kind of decided that I wanted to use that piece of gear primarily mm. instead of the modular synthesizer, which I had been mostly using before then. And I wanted to kind of challenge myself and see if I could just make it all work just using the tracker, using um, samples that I had recorded from my modular over the years. Mm. Um, and so it was really kind of centered around this tracker and like a, a, a personal challenge to use a new piece of gear and uh, see what I could do with my existing samples to kind of make them even more complex or just like sequence my own music almost. Mm. Like mm -hmm. chop it up, sample it and sequence it in the in the tracker. So you set that challenge for yourself. How challenging was it in practice um i'm trying to remember back you know to remember the process because it was you know it was a year ago and mm. um i've done so many kind of different things <laughs> since then so um well i'm sure you know any any interfacing with technology is challenging and a pain in the ass in some way. <laughs> no, there's definitely a lot of wrangling and manual reading and um figuring out uh I mean, figuring out what what the sound pool um, was going to be, mm. and um, I actually wish I had reviewed my notes because I I took a lot of notes while I was working on the record, just kind of personal studio notes, and I actually wish I had reviewed those before speaking with you because I'm sure there's a lot of information there <laughs> and swearing and uh, <laughs> frustration. Um, but yeah, I mean, just like anything, just kind of getting getting used to a piece, a new piece of equipment, figuring out all the button combinations, and um, it's like you know, eighty percent struggles, and then you know, twenty percent breakthroughs that you know you forget the struggles yeah. <laughs> because yeah, the breakthroughs sure. are awesome. <laughs> uh, you draw analogies as well in the text to the fact that it pulls from ongoing research into weaving and textiles. I've seen you mention before, actually, this analogizing to different practices outside of sound, which you don't see mentioned loads, actually, in interviews with artists bringing in, you know, other disciplines to talk specifically about their relationship with sound. So that's really nice. But what is it about weaving specifically that has been compelling to you as a means of engaging with sound and composing your music? Um, my kind of, you know, d diving into weaving started in 2020 when I was commissioned to do a project for a museum in Asheville. And uh, that's kind of when I started getting into weaving and studying weaving. And it's it's been inspiring for me, I guess, in two kind of broad senses. Like, you know, in, in one sense, it's inspiring to me in terms of the the actual structure of cloth and the the building of cloth and then in a more kind of metaphorical sense you know i'm super inspired by like the um uh 
the patience of weavers and the um, uh, kind of the patience and focus that it takes to actually weave cloth. And I mm. think a lot about how that how that can apply to an activity like sequencing, which is also very laborious. But you know, I try and I try and approach my sequencers like like a loom in terms of really taking my time to set things up because when you're weaving. And I'm I'm not a weaver. I'm a I'm a I'm a fan of weaving, and I'm a student of weaving. But I wouldn't consider myself to be a weaver. Maybe uh-huh. one day. But um, <laughs> just like you know, when I was uh, taking weaving classes in person, I was just um, just really uh, struck by the patience it takes to set up a loom and to get you know just the like the like the labor it takes to thread sometimes thousands of threads into specific bits of the loom and you know hours and hours sometimes days before you even start weaving anything mm. and um so i feel like there i mean there's just so many there's so many parallels to be drawn between the act of weaving and the act of sequencing sound this idea of spending a lot of time on the back end setting up your systems to then uh play them or weave them or um and I mean, weaving, I guess the stakes are a lot higher because if you make a mistake when you're setting up the loom, <laughs> you're, you're, you're going to see that for the entirety of your cloth. Uh, if, if one yeah. thread is in the, you know, one out of a thousand or, you know, more than, you know, is in the wrong um, heddle, as it's called, you'll see that mistake for the duration <laughs> of your cloth. So just kind of, that was very sobering, you know? And yeah. so I... Um, I just think about that a lot when I'm when I'm working with sequencers in terms of really kind of paying attention to the structure, for, you know, on the back end. It's funny because when I saw the weaving mentioned within the text, it got me thinking as well about the track sequencing. I think the sequencing of the track and the experience of the record from start to finish is really interesting because you have a few tracks in the first half that have quite prominent beats and then the prominence of those rhythms kind of dissipates into the folds of you know some stuff that's more like droney and pulsing and so I was thinking about the weaving as you know when you start and you get quite explicit stitches and then it dissolves into something that's more of a picture with more subtle Mm -hmm. uh, textural effect within it you know as it gets more complicated those initial weaves get more and more kind of embedded in the general picture but I wanted to ask about sequencing this record really because I could say it was it really struck me the way that the record develops and those rhythms kind of yeah get more buried into the into the folds of the record so was there any particular thoughts driving how you decided to put these tracks into an order I actually listened to it again on Friday, the day that it came out. I don't know if that's very, like, you know, egotistical, but I was like, I want to hear it again now because I haven't listened to it. And I just want to have, like, you, like, come back to it with fresh ears. And the sequencing also, I was like, oh, wow, that's interesting that I chose to <laughs> sequence the tracks in this way. Why did I do that? Um, I, I think it's, it's something energetic at the time. Um, that must have made sense to me. And I, mm. I think listening back to it last week, I think uh, the way I interpreted it on Friday or reinterpreted it 
is it kind of starts off with the uh, more kind of energetic or maybe like frantic and hectic pieces. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, like you said, it kind of settles and kind of blurs those structures into more um, the uh, like the time variable becomes more malleable as the record goes on. That's kind of how I re reinterpreted it. That's cool. Yeah, you've got that extended piece in the middle, which almost acts like a chronic disruptor of how the record handles time, which is really cool. I love the record. One other question, actually, I did want to ask about, because it's really striking when it comes up, is the piano on Elemental. And I'm, you know, I wanted to ask how you managed to get it to sound like that, because it's got this frantic, almost random quality to it, the way that the piano sample is kind of jittering around when it comes in. Is that you like meticulously sequencing every little glitch of that? Are you playing that in real time? Yeah, how does that, I, I don't know the tracker, how does that, how did that play out? So so those are piano samples that I recorded actually in my parents' house in, in Beirut on, oh, cool. on my grandmother's piano with probably, I don't even remember what, what mic I used, but I recorded those and then edited them into, you know, short samples, put them in the tracker. And so the, the tracker, I mean, there's different types of tracker, but the specific one I was using, which is the polyend one, there are different kinds of um, like built-in effects parameters that you can play with that um, you can kind of repeat steps and you can um, uh, do rolls, which is my favorite thing about the tracker. <laughs> I love the rolls in the tracker. I mean, I got the tracker originally because I love jungle and drum and bass. Oh, I was like, I'm nice. gonna make jungle. And then I just completely like was not able to do it. And I just, <laughs> I just, I mean, that's why I call this, this is my tracker jazz record. I'm like, this is, this is what <laughs> jazz sounds like in a tracker. If you're trying to make jungle that's um, great. and you don't know what you're doing, <laughs> and you just like program a bunch of rolls uh, you know, on piano samples, that's kind of what it sounds like. And you can re-trigger re steps, but that's kind of like the main thing that I love about trackers, like the rolls, and I try and kind of use those, uh, probably overuse them because it's my first time <laughs> using a tracker. So um, there's a lot of rolls and you can kind of program different types of rolls, like ascending and there's like nine different kinds of ways to re-trigger a step. So I'm not sure if you're talking about the re-triggers, but that's kind of like the roles are um big obsession of mine, tracker roles. Oh neat. That's great. I love the record. Congrats. Yes, it came Thank out you. like two days ago when we're talking. Uh so it's just now going out into the world. But when this comes out, it would have been out there for a while. People should definitely go listen to it and I'll include links in the show notes to ensure they can do just that. So thank you. Vanna, we should go to your important records. So one question I like to ask at this point is how you thought about the word important when picking your list of three records. So was there a particular way you understood important to come up with the three records that you did? Yeah, when I first when I first started thinking about it, I uh, um, I guess I got a little bit global, and I was like, "What are like important records like for the world <laughs> to hear?" And I just started, you know, 
And then, and then when I sat down to kind of really think about them, I was like, I, I can only speak for the records that, that are important to me personally, you know? Right, yeah. And so they are important, um, not in the, in the sense of like, these are records everybody should listen to, not at all. These are important in like a kind of a deeply personal way to me. And um, I uh, recently saw, um, I went to a talk um, by this woman called Helen Molesworth, who is a, uh, like an art curator. And, um, and she mentioned something about uh, how she would pick paintings for the collection of the museums. And she mentioned uh, uh, like the idea of gold, po- gold, gold posts and uh, the idea of like art that can withstand time travel. And so I was thinking of that in terms of like albums, uh. albums that can withstand time travel in my personal life and um, kind of like sonic, sonic goalposts, uh, records that are, um, that kind of really influenced me that I spent a lot of time with. Um, so like important in the terms that they're kind of, these are albums that like deeply shaped me through a prolonged engagement with them over time and became my kind of sonic goalposts, even though, and and we'll get into this later, but I don't necessarily listen to them anymore, but they're kind of deeply in my psyche, in my, you know, yeah, important in terms of their kind of authenticity in that, in that sense, in a, in, like in a very personal way. Mm, nice, nice. Okay, yeah. great. Let's go for the first of these three records then, Banner. Which one would you like to go for first? Okay, it was so hard to choose also, <laughs> but you know, we'll just... <laughs> also yeah, in terms apologies. of the order, I was like, how are we going to talk about them? So I, I went just, I, I found like a random order, like 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 a list, a list randomizer <laughs> online. And then I just put them in there, but then I decided, I actually thought about this. So um, if you don't mind, I guess we, we, we can talk about the Yana Wonderin one first. Yeah, of course. Whatever order makes and, sense yeah. to you. Absolutely. Yeah. I cool. bypassed the list randomizer because <laughs> it showed me what order I didn't want to talk about them. And so it did serve a purpose. That's still useful. Yeah, that's great. Okay, yeah, totally. Cool. <laughs> I was so, like, no, that's a terrible order. I'm going to decide. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's awesome. So Yana Vindaran. Yes, drum roll. Okay, record number one. And no, I mean, it's not an order of importance, just like an order of like flow. Yes. So, um, uh, so Yana Winderin, The Wonderer, which is on Ash International, came out in 2015. So, uh, do you want me to start or? Go for it. Yeah, I tend to ask at this point to, for you to give me a little introduction as to why this one's important to you. So yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, so this is a record of hydrophone recordings that Yana Winderin um, uh, took in the, in the uh, Atlantic Ocean of like phytoplankton and zooplankton. And um, she's just this like badass Norwegian scientist, field recordist, mathematician, you know, just, uh, and this is a really interesting record. Um, this was this is important to me because the first time I actually consciously heard a hydrophone for an right. entire record, right. <laughs> or just ever really, I, I had never really heard what a hydrophone sounded like up close. Mm. Um, so it really kind of uh, blew my mind, and 
kind of opened up the world of field recording to me, uh, actually. This was kind of like my first time listening to an, like an entire record of like field recordings, uh, it, like, okay, or deep sea recordings, uh, <laughs> like nature, nature sounds. And I, um, I, I was like, well, you can, you can do that. You can just like, you can make a record of just like phytoplankton sounds. It's amazing. Like I, I had no idea that you could actually do that, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. it was, it was, it was pretty mind blowing, uh, um, at the time. I mean, it still is, but and it's also important because I was reading in the uh, in in the notes about this album that half of the world's oxygen. I'm quoting here: half of the world's oxygen is produced by phytoplankton photosynthesis. So it's also important because it's important to like our ecosystem. So it's you know <laughs> uh, so important like on that on that level too. Yeah, that is bananas. That stat. Um, yeah. Can you recall how you first heard it? How did it come into your life? I I was trying to remember that, and I actually... I have no idea. Somebody must have told me about it, or I must have, like... It was it was around um, seven uh, 2017, I discovered it in Los Angeles, kind of right around the time uh, that I was getting more involved in... Um, in the uh, electronic kind of music world, like just kind of like the DIY scene through through modular synthesizers. So I think somebody must have turned me on to it or turned me on to touch. Mm. I don't know what what order that happened in, but um, mm-hmm. probably somebody in that in that scene, mm. you know. Uh, yeah, but I can't. I can't remember what you know. What was the what was the connection point there? Actually, uh huh. So it's a wonderful piece. I'd not heard this before. It's really something. Obviously, it's great over headphones. You mentioned that it's the first hydrophone release. Well, record that utilizes hydrophone for the whole thing, and that it's the kind of the first field recording album where it really become a gateway for you into that universe so obviously the first is always a big occasion Mm -hmm. uh why do you think though it's had i imagine you've heard other field recording records since maybe other hydrophone records what is it about this one that means that it's the one that's stayed with you and become the important one well, just a correction. I don't know if this is the first hydrophone record. It's just the first time I heard an entire record. Of oh, sorry. Yes, hyd- that's hydrophone. what I meant. Beg your pardon. Yeah. 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 Um, I think it's because, you know, it's hard to super quantify this, but it's, I, I think it because it really, it um, kind of prompted me to start listening in a different way and it um, expanded what I uh, previously thought music or sound was or could be. Um, and I just have a kind of a um, kind of a deep personal connection with the record because I spent so much time with it. And um, also there's uh, like, it almost sound like I was listening to Curtis Rhodes, the computer musician at the time also. And I just felt like, there's so much kind of overlap with the sounds that Curtis Rhodes was making with very complex computer art, like very like um, precise editing 
of of uh, electronic sounds and these tiny like phytoplankton sounds and the idea of um that you didn't necessarily need a synthesizer to kind of generate these like incredible like just very kind of sonically satisfying clicks and um and it kind of like you know blurred the lines because i sometimes i'd be listening to it and i would think that it was a synthesizer or there was some kind of a a drone underneath but it's just kind of sounds of the ocean and it's uh yeah it's kind of unclear if there are any other instruments or how it's processed i don't i don't really know what the process was that she used to make this record but Mm. um it just kind of totally captured my um, imagination and it just kind of blossomed into this kind of collaborative friendship with touch. And uh, yeah, I just, it just holds a special place for this record. That's really cool. Or this piece. Cause it's one piece of music or yeah. sound. I don't know. I don't know how we can even use that word anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's music. Is it sound? Is it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it reminds me actually the point you just made about the fact that computer music has a lot of kinship when it gets really complicated with these kind of sounds there's a point on your record i don't know if i'm going to pronounce this right apologies genera where he used like a water sample and it sounds like you repeat it or like treat it in such a way that you're like that just sounds that sounds like an arpeggiator or something um it's really striking and that made me think or made me consider whether you had a specific relationship with water i know you did like this lovely mix with mike harding you've been doing for dub lab like a big series mm-hmm. one called water memory which does actually start with yana vindran as well is there something specifically compelling about water to you as well as something that intersects with sound and exploration of sound it's a good question. I've never really thought about that. I mean, I just kind of um, intuitively, you know, obviously water's a big uh, part of existence. That's so cheesy to say. But uh, I mean, I, um, yeah, what is the connection with water? Um, I guess I go through, I, I go through phases where I'm really like into water sounds and thinking about water and thinking about our connection to water and um, it's uh, it, it's I guess it's a very kind of accessible sound or I don't I don't I don't mm. know exactly I don't I don't I don't have a um, I don't have a conscious answer to that question to be Absolutely honest. Absolutely fair. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just kind of a very satisfying sound out of the kind of range of uh, available natural sounds. There's so many different. Uh, like there's such a variety of water sounds whether it's dripping or yeah i don't know i think i think i'm just kind of spitballing right now (laughs) (laughs) it's great well i think though you you have highlighted something i think really comes out on this record which is i feel like um because the wondrous pitched as this record which is recorded in the domain of zooplankton and phytoplankton in the atlantic ocean kind of the implication that you're not just hearing these creatures and i guess they don't exist in isolation that's the whole thing is that they have this huge interconnectedness this really significant one as per the ocean at large with the rest of life on earth and everything else so there's something really nice about you know the microsound element 
but mm. also the fact you're hearing so much other stuff on this album too because you, you just can't pluck out phytoplankton in isolation and record it nor consider it just in isolation of everything else that it's kind of plugged into in in, a, in an ecological mm. sense that's very lovely um yeah i like that about this record yeah and you you know and you and you and you definitely hit on the right word which i forgot to mention but like microsound this term of like kind of natural microsounds versus synthesized microsounds and um yeah do you still listen to this one now i don't which you know i i guess i just kind of but I just consume so much music that it like I just kind of have like a high turnover. But at that time, I listened to it a lot. But I'm definitely going to revisit it. I mean, I, I I revisited it last week before speaking with you just to refresh um, my memory and see, you know, give it the goosebump test and see if it still <laughs> like holds. And it definitely, you know, definitely, definitely does. And um, Mm. I'm also a scuba diver, so I've kind of like experienced these sounds a little bit, um, and so it just reminded me of my uh, of 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 the one and only night dive that I did. It oh, took me back wow. to that, um, and just that like just that feeling of being kind of suspended in this like black water, um, and just everything being completely still. Wow. What's that like? So when you go on a night dive, you're, I mean, can you, I was going to say, can you see much? I guess that's the thing with a night dive. But <laughs> what what is that experience like? Like what kind of sensations are you taking in on something like that? Just trying not to freak out and just remembering to calm down. Like you have two, two flashlights and you have a guide and it's very... Um, it's it's frightening at first, but if you can get yourself to calm down and just really focus, you know, instead of kind of looking out into the blackness, just focus on on the on the wall or the whatever you happen to be diving. If it's a ship or like a um, like a wall dive, just kind of focus on the uh, on the on the fish and all the like natural life that's happening. Then you know you can kind of calm yourself down, calm your breathing down enough to just uh, be focused on that. And it's to, it's just amazing. It's amazing. Just this kind of sense of awe and wonder that I had during the night dive is like, it's the same feeling that I felt when I listened to this record again. Let's go to your second important record now. Which one is next on your non-random Okay, list? drum roll. Drum <laughs> roll. Okay. Autecker uh, Amber. Am I saying Autecker right? I know I know some people have different ways, but you're but you're from the UK, so how do you say it? Autecker and I Autecker. I or <laughs> <laughs> Is that I'm, rude? I'm sorry. That's I, good. I, no, I'm, I am close enough to London that that's completely legitimate. Yes, I feel okay. like that. I read that as being the. Uh, I don't know. I bet they say there's not an official way, 
but okay. that seems to have settled into I haven't been called out on it yet so should, yeah we'll okay. go for Orteca right and Amber yeah yeah or, but yeah but how do you say that if you don't have a British accent um, <laughs> so yeah Amber <laughs> uh, uh, so this was hard to choose because I love all of their records so much. So this mm. was—I mean, I definitely knew that it that it had to be like an Alteca record, but I wasn't like sure which one. And then I was like, no, of course it has to be Amber because that's the one that I feel the most connected to. Um, mm. This one I discovered around 2014, um, and I was introduced to Attacker by uh, Eric Cheslak, who goes under Rodent, um, in 2014 in Los Angeles. And um, it was kind of right around the same time I was getting into modular synthesizers. And, you know, similar to the Yana Winderin one, this is also like a first, you know, this is kind of one of the first kind of fully electronic albums that I listened to. Um, mm. after being a bass player for about 10 years and living in bass world um, and, right. you know, uh, non, non-electronic music or, like, not fully electronic music uh, world. So um, this, was, this was a big one for me um, and really uh, kind of stretched my ideas of, like, my idea of, like, what could be done with sound and... Um, and sequencing specifically, um, I, I think I had just started playing with sequencers at that time. And so this was kind of like my kind of f- sequencing, f- like formative record. Um, where I really started thinking about uh, electronic beats and the like all the discrete elements and layers that they had on this record. Mm. Um, and I was just kind of, st- I studied it so, so, so much. And, uh, you know, I'd put on a track and follow just the hi-hat. Or, I mean, even if, if I can even call it a hi-hat. Although, <laughs> I mean, this record, you know, like they added, like, you know, it's their, it's their second album. So this was like before the Max uh, yeah. Insanity. So, you know, maybe they did use an actual hi-hat. Uh, we, can, we can maybe say that. Um, but yeah, I just like, I studied this. I studied this album and it's like, you know, definitely like a goalpost, goalpost album. Yeah. yeah. I'm so intrigued as to why well, this is the one that is the important one for you. Cause you said 2014, right? That this is, that that's when you discovered it. So mm-hmm. Orteca by that point were like deep into Max stuff. I think XI had come out by that point. Maybe that was the most, or Move of 10, no, XI, I think I'm right. XI, I think, was the most recent thing, and obviously that's a, quite a, a bonkers record. Why is why do you think Amber's the one that mm-hmm. sticks with you as the one that, yeah, you, you come back to and is the important one? I was reading a little bit about it, actually, and I, and I saw um, just kind of little background information. I didn't really know this. I knew it was their second album, but... Um, uh, so quoting here from, I don't know, probably Wikipedia, but it says, uh, unlike Incanabula, which was part of Warp's artificial intelligence series of albums and predominantly a compilation of older material, mm. Amber was described by Autechre member Rob Brown as genuinely the first album we put out on Warp. And I thought that was interesting because I, 
It's like maybe maybe I was picking up on on that where it really feels like it feels like the beginning of their. Uh, uh, I mean, it feels like a formative record of theirs. Yes, and I can kind of like I de- like I could I could identify with that, especially because I was starting out with synthesis and sequencers, so I could I could wrap my brain around it a lot more than I could the Max records yes. that they made. So so it was so it really so I connected with it um, because it's because it's accessible. I mean, it's basically it's a hip hop record, right? Know? Yeah, it's totally a hip hop record, and I you know listened to a lot of hip hop. I played a lot of hip hop, playing bass, and so it was it was like a really um, accessible kind of gateway record into that like as you said bonkers world which i later you know fully embraced but it was it was a little too like their later records were just a little too abstract for me mm, mm-hmm. and i had to kind of ease into it so this was a really uh, this was kind of like a gateway record um and uh you can like you can hear that like you can hear the I don't want to say that it's a naive record, but you know you can you you can hear the beginnings of their kind of kind of sequencing ideas and using more more stock sounds and uh, more mm. kind of sequencing cliches and um, yeah. Also, I, I mean, I was thinking about this. Also, I wonder how much you know the cover has to do with our you know very very subconsciously you know how much album covers can play into our preference of a record. And I do love pink and purple and pastel pink and purple. <laughs> Very like surface level thing. I mean, there's something that just kind of captured my, I just, I love that cover also because I love the desert. And, yeah. Yeah. It's a lovely cover. Um, yeah. You could definitely hear, as you say, like the synthesizer strings, I think were really striking to hear on an Orteca record. If you're like really thick in their latest stuff. Do you have a favorite track or one that, as you speak to me now, kind of stands out? Um, like, can I have two? There were two. You, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean it's just it's hard. It's hard to pick. I have two. <laughs> I have two favorite tracks. I'm you gonna, got it. Um, so the first one is nine. It's not track nine, but it's yeah, the the track called nine, and um, just. God, that sound is just like it's just like this elasticity of, of sound design like the per, it's like almost like a 303 sound this kind of um that uh, melodic line in that and that track just uh, I, I'm obsessed with it and just like the sound design in general like the kind of articulation of the kind of plucks that creep in and out and the portamento and the the delay amounts and the arpeggiation Ooh. and it's yeah just kind of like a sound design masterpiece and i listened back to it because i haven't heard it in a while and i was just like yeah this is kind of a masterpiece of sound design to me mm. um and then the second one i don't even know how to pronounce this yul quinn uh-huh yeah um, yeah yeah so also sound design and um just that kind of like dusty vibe and um and the envelopes of that sound just getting nerdy here with the the, <laughs> the technical you know i mean envelopes not too technical but um also it's just a very kind of a simple beautiful track it's just kind of one one melody with these kind of three layers um 
feels more like a sketch mm. and so that track actually I it, it reminded me of um, a quote from a book uh, that I have called architecture without architects that I wanted to mention but the yeah. quote is um, it's talking about uh, town structures of Marrakesh and the quote is there are no traffic arteries to speak of the cool narrow alleys of broken course often lead to dead ends and that's what, I was like that's what that track is it's just kind of this kind of sketch of dead ends and uh, it's not really going anywhere um, and uh, but it is it is a piece of sonic architecture nonetheless and um, yeah that's so lovely. Have you seen them live? Yes, I saw them once at, in 2015 in Los Angeles. It was amazing. They played in pitch black, and I was like, how, how can we not even see, like, you know, the glare of their computer screens? Have you seen them live? Was it the same? <laughs> yeah, it was totally... I've seen... I saw them in 2015, too, and then I saw them okay. last year. And both times it was very dark and I think felt louder because it was dark too right yeah that's a good point or just you know I mean just like just even more insane yeah did they do like a big hour long piece or something when you saw them <sighs> probably I mean I ago, doubt yeah. I doubt they would like stop for kind of applause <laughs> in between their their greatest hits you know yeah, it's just, just like a, offer out a thank just a you stream to of insanity and, yeah. I mean I just remember it being like a stream of insanity in a black room for I don't even like I obviously lost track of time and everything it was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's one of those experiences where when the lights come on and they stop at the end there's a euphoric relief sort of wrapped up mm. in the you know well done kind of applause as well it's all everyone's just like oh, light as well so it gets extra euphoric so amber was the important one for you i'm intrigued what other records you had kind of in the mix before you were like no it's definitely amber were there any others kind of jocelyn to begin with that confield oh I mean, nice confield choice. is like the first track you know it's yeah next level and um i i do love the beats of incanabula definitely um mm. and try repetite is it try repetite try repetite <laughs> I, 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 I don't so. know yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh those three you know de but definitely confield i had picked i you know i picked confield first and i was like no amber <laughs> and um they're all just different different flavors of of brilliant sound design and i just yeah i i just feel like you know in terms of electronic music innovation they are just on the bleeding edge to me mm. at least i um i don't think anybody comes close <laughs> to their yeah. kind of level of uh mastery of this medium
Banner, one more okay. important record, the final one. Uh, tell me what it is. Give me a little introduction as to why it's important to you. Okay, this one is uh, Boards of Canada, Tomorrow's Harvest, mm. which seems very... Um, is it is that a is that a cliche choice? <laughs> well, okay, so Boards of Canada has come up once before on this podcast. Obey Al Sharani picked it. Oh no, picked uh, music has the rights to children. Uh, okay. I saw a poll the other day because Boards of Canada social media is constantly like eating itself of like the favorite people's favorite records, and Tomorrow's Harvest was. Only picked by a handful of people. I think actually a lot of people are a bit within the diehard Boards of Canada sector, a bit sniffy about it. I don't think it's a cliche choice, but I'm really glad you oh. picked it. I wonder why. Hmm. Yeah, it's uh Yeah, I don't know. I felt like maybe this is kind of a cliche choice. Everybody loves Boards of Canada. It's kind of obvious. But I I just I really I love this record with my entire being. I I love <laughs> this record, um, uh, and I definitely wore it out. I can't listen. I mean, not that I can't listen to it anymore, but I but I had to. I you know I had this record in my car for two years. I had the CD in my car for oh, two years, 2017, 2018. Basically, the only CD in my car for two years, which is insane thinking back to it. And I, I had to ban myself from listening to it, and I broke the ban last week, just for you to revisit oh, it. On it, <laughs> wow! I, I was like, you can't, like, okay, okay, we're done, we're done now. <laughs> just like a dog with a bone in its mouth, like, leave it, you know? It's like, okay. Um, and I was thinking in terms of like, you know, you have like records that have like. You know, you have like tunes and and rollers and bangers and and I was like, this is a floater. Oh <laughs> this yeah, is, this is such a floater. I mean, it's just just a wide wide album sonically and conceptually, visually, imaginatively. It's just this like like when I when I when I put it on last week, I just kind of my eyes glazed over and I just I was in that BOC trance. You know, it's just like. <laughs> like eternal trip that is boards of canada um ooh. <laughs> do, yeah. you do you remember how you first heard it i don't remember how i first heard it i know that i discovered it in 2014 um i can't remember how i arrived at it um mm -hmm. but yeah. it fa found its way into your car yeah um and I imagine my own experience with car records would attest to this, that that's probably a big significant reason why it became the important record, because it ends up just fusing with your body, right? If you play it for two years straight. But um, yeah, why is this one the important one for you? Like I say, I think the most common choice that people go for, it's not mine, that music has the right to children is the one that people go for. Why is this the one out of all their records you think that juts out for you? I think that the the answer to that is kind of a deeply subconscious one that I, again, I'm not necessarily able to articulate why this one specifically, but energetically, this is the one that um, 
that I kind of fused with, as you said, like I fused with it the most. And um, mm. uh, it kind of, uh, this one really, like this is an important record because it really held me. Like it mm. kind of became my, like a, like a perceptual kind of sonic security blanket <laughs> for two years. <laughs> um, and I was driving a lot uh, between Los Angeles and Joshua Tree at the time. And um, so I just, it's, it, it just, it takes me to the desert. It takes me to the oh, freeways perfect. of Los Angeles. And it's just, and also the, um, I mean, the cover is part of it, I think, you know. Something, something about the cover. I was actually reading about the cover, and it was it was shot in San Francisco. I thought it was Los Angeles, actually, but oh. I mean close enough because anybody who's lived on the West Coast knows those colors. <laughs> right, they know right. those colors. I mean that is that is such a vibe. It's such a vibe. This kind of like, you know, dusty grayish orange, dirty West Coast city sunset. <laughs> Um, vibe so it's kind of a combination of all of those things and even like the track titles and the um, it's also a really generous record it's 17 tracks it's like a lot yeah it's a lot of music it's just a really long just journey um, and just just very cinematic very cinematic I mean I was like thinking it's like it's like like the sonic equivalent of like ketamine or something it's really <laughs> you know what i mean it's just it, there's it's uh yeah it's a yeah. vibe it's a vibe yeah it's a vibe <laughs> do you as you say it's a floater everything mm. floats into each other i actually so i reviewed this record when it came out so i got oh, this wow. um stream through the I couldn't download, but should I admit this? I did. I ripped the stream basically, and but I couldn't. I couldn't separate the tracks up, so I just had it as one long hour-long track in oh, my car. Amazing. Yeah. So you couldn't. I had my favorite timestamps, but generally speaking, it just rolled in my yeah. car, which was, you know. So I think we had quite a similar experience in that respect, but um. <laughs> Yeah, picking favourite tracks is therefore tricky, and I think the flow mm-hmm. of the record kind of pushes against that as well, but do you have ones that stick out for you? And I guess I had a similar experience to you because I was listening to it in my car, like, I don't know what any of the tracks are. Right. You know, it was just this, like, you know, one hour long, you know, trance, so I had to go back and, like, you know, last week and listen to the individual tracks. I was like, oh, I didn't know these were, that was like a separate track. It was, I thought oh, it was part wow. of the one before. It's like, okay. I was like, I don't know the names of any of these tracks. I just kind of like, it was just, it was, it was a, you know, very, very similar. Like, I, you know, I might as well not have even had the track listing. Yeah. I, it it yeah, wasn't, yeah. they weren't separated. It was, it just flows so well. Again, I ended up picking two, but I'll I'll I'll, I'll pick the first one. Uh, Collapse is the the one um, again. Just kind of the vibe and the. Uh, I mean, it's hard again to articulate because so much of this is just a feeling. Yeah, it's like how does it make you feel? Yeah. So collapse, just the feeling of that track. Something about the um, those kind of up and down arpeggios, kind of suspended over these two chords. And Come to Dust, I mean, also that one is just, oh, that's 
this an amazing one. track and just the reverse snares on that yeah are so good are <laughs> so good i mean that's just like the you know yeah yeah that's such a great sound um and just kind of and i mean the thing i love about boards of canada is like they have the best lfos like the best like they've just nailed the lfo to pitch kind of modulation rate like that's kind of like the benchmark of how to you know like that kind of perfect lfo rate and amount of warble uh like nobody nobody comes close uh i mean they just they just nailed it they nailed it um both of those tracks just yeah straight straight goosebumps i love them um just yeah, they're just the feeling, the feeling of those tracks is, uh, yeah, words fill. So that, that, that is two very interesting picks. You may already know, like, some of the trivia around this record, but the whole thing, according to the band, is like a palindrome. It's got a palindromic structure. Mm, I didn't so, know that. So Collapse is the centre of the palindrome. It's a track that I believe structurally can run in both directions. I don't think necessarily like the audio can be just flipped, but I think structurally it's it, it, oh it has a split. But also, "Come to Dust" is the palindromic equivalent of "Reach for the Dead." It's got the same chord sequence, so it's the sort of sister of that track, which. As soon as I heard about this, I was like, oh my gosh, where are the other sort of kinships? Either side of the record, and I wasn't able to find any, any as explicit as that, but there must be uh, being Oh my god, this is amazing. This is amazing. <laughs> You're adding even more dimension to this record. I mean, of course, the first thing I'm going to do when we get off Zoom now is I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen to Come to Dust in reverse. I'll just record it and play it backwards. Wow, I did not know this. Oh yeah, no, yeah, Collapse is the palindromic one and then Come to Dust is oh, the collapses. same. Oh, Collapse is, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. But yeah, uh, yes, that's the kind of center Amazing. of Amazing. How cool is that? Okay. <laughs> I was gonna say oh yeah I was, I was gonna ask if you listen to this record now you've just you just confirmed it's sort of ran it into the ground as a car record um so instead i'll ask is there a car record currently i don't have a car anymore ah interesting Tears. Right. no actually it's kind of a liberation uh i've driven enough <laughs> living in la for 15 years like you <laughs> that's like enough driving for multiple lifetimes <laughs> Um, gotcha. But I don't have a car, which is interesting because it's definitely changing the way I listen to music. Because, uh, like, I tried listening to this record just like sitting in my computer chair, and yes, it's amazing, but it's such a driving record. Certain oh, yeah. records are just car records, you know? Yeah. Um, so now I'm like, you know, living the subway life and trying to figure out what that looks like or what, like, what that, what that sounds like. 
Yeah. It's hard, isn't it? Because it's such a loud, such a loud environment, right? Or if any, if it's anything like the London Tube, it's just like any music gets flattened. Um, Actually, fun. the Montreal subway is very, um, it's pretty quiet. Like I was in New York two weeks ago and it was like so loud and so rattly. And mm. then I came back here. I was like, no, it's actually pretty, it's pretty smooth. Oh. See, I just assume that's not even possible because our London underground is just like so smoggy, so warm, so loud. Like it's, yeah, it's really unpleasant. Um, it's a bit like an Orteca concert actually. Um, the, the, the other question I wanted to ask then that's interesting just to segue out of what you're just saying you don't have a car anymore so car listening is no longer part of your how you listen to music so what are the predominant ways now that you that music comes into your daily life as a listener like how do you listen to music so I um, I consume an obscene amount of music <laughs> Like, basically like as soon as I wake up till I go to bed I'm, I'm constantly oh wow constantly constantly listening to music um yeah definitely I mean I uh my friend Sean and I talk about this a lot just in terms of like you know using music uh for emotional regulation and uh and also, you know, music, music is medicine. I think we all know that instinctively. And I think the more we can kind of start saying that and using those terms explicitly, uh, the better off we'll be. But um, mm. so I'm, yeah, I constantly listen to music uh, in different, you know, in different ways. Like when I wake up, I don't, I don't listen to electronic music till before noon. I would say. <laughs> I don't really. Uh, so it's, you know, it has to be either just kind of maybe like chanting or just, uh, um, uh, acoustic or instrumental or, um, uh, some kind of drone or, uh, kind of traditional folk chill music. And, um, mm. yeah, I, like I kind of, uh, I have, uh, I, I guess now I'm on like a bit of a musical schedule these days or like a, like a routine. Oh, cool. Right. I actually, I actually have like a full-on routine now, which is a little bit embarrassing because I used to listen to a lot of like you know NTS and online radio and this all the time. But I've kind of stopped that for now. I'm just kind of going through a different phase, a different relationship with music, where it's very kind of uh, it's very structured listening throughout the day and really thinking of the energetics of every piece of music that I'm consuming um and when that happens that's so cool could you tell me a bit more about that when are you crest when are you hitting the like the beats like when does the hard stuff the come beats, in, in your day well okay well there's no i mean so like you know i do kind of y yoga in the morning and i'll listen to maybe like indian classical music or something like that or chanting and then have breakfast and then when i'm doing my dishes I put on like the OCs. That's kind of my current. Oh. I love I love the OCs. So that's kind of what gets me fired up. Do my dishes, brush my teeth, like get ready for the day, and then and then when I do computer work and admin work, um, you know, I'll listen to very kind of low key 
uh, kind of ambient music like Richard Chartier or like Line, you know that yeah. um, that that kind of stuff. And then uh, in the afternoon, you know, I'll listen to kind of chill music after I'm done with the workday. And then the beats, and then you know, I do I do have dance breakdowns where I'll just like blast some jungle, um, you know, midday just to kind of come back to life. Like jungle is jungle is what I use to come back to life. If I'm fading, I'll just put on some oh, jungle and I'll very like, cool. bring it back in, and like I'll get the blood flowing, and that's kind of my life force music. <laughs> and. Um, and then, yeah, you know, at night, I'll, you know, I'll listen to different kinds of dan- dance music. I'm very much into Sam Binga right now. Also, do, do you know his music? Who, say that name again. S- Sam Binga. No, I don't. It's just really good. Um, I, I mean, I guess like electro. I don't know. And then, and, and then at night, I'm just really into this like Tibetan flute record. So that's what I'll play just to like bring it all in before bed. That's so great. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, Anna, this has been so good. I've had heaps of fun listening to these records, talking to you about them, and also as well, Intimar as well is fabulous. So thank you for giving some insights into that. And yeah, thanks for expending your energy in the direction of this today. Thank you so much. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on and uh, for the conversation and... Um, yeah, it's fun. It's fun to listen, like to talk about music. Definitely. I mean, that's, uh, uh, and it's just interesting to kind of share, um, share insights. And I look forward to listening to the other interviews on your podcast and see how everybody else answered these questions. Right on. Nice. Thank you, Banner. And to everyone listening, see you next time. Goodbye.